Hey everyone, did you enjoy the British Grand Prix? Oh my goodness, what a race that was. That was by far the best race of the season so far. So let's get into it. I love the British Grand Prix. I think that Silverstone is my favourite circuit that Formula One goes to. If you were there this weekend, then you had a pretty mixed weekend in terms of the weather. Qualifying on Saturday was typical British weather, rain, then sun, then rain again. But the race on Sunday was incredibly eventful, and I won't cover all of it, but I will cover the things that stood out to me. Starting off with that opening lap, and I think that new fans especially, I I heard this from someone recently, that new fans of the sport may not be quite so familiar with the true dangers of it. And it isn't that I'm immune to it, it's not that I'm necessarily used to it, but it is something that having watched Formula One for the last 15 years, I've seen. I recall Massa's horrific incident with the big metal coil that came off another car. I remember Kubix's crash, Roman Grosjean, and of course, Jules Bianchi, and in Formula Two, recently, Antoine Hubert. Formula One is an incredibly dangerous sport, and that's why a lot of the innovations that have been brought in are primarily for the driver's safety, and no more so than the Halo. And once again, the Halo saved not one, but probably two lives this weekend. There was a horrific crash in Formula Two, where one of the cars went over another, and then at the start of the Formula One race, Joe Guanyu was flipped upside down, went skidding at who knows how fast, straight into the barriers, over the barriers, hit the metal cage that was protecting the fans, and ended up getting stuck. I'm sure if you've caught up with the race, you've seen the horrific photos of Joe Guanyu stuck between the metal fence and the tyre barrier. But as soon as we knew that maybe there wasn't a fire, I thought that there was probably a good chance of him getting out. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. I just know that the the cell that the drivers sit in is incredibly strong. And so it was great to see that Joe Guanyu came out of that crash relatively uninjured in the grand scheme of the accident. And once again, the halo doing its job. There was another horrific crash with... Alex Albon, we didn't see a huge amount of coverage of it, but he essentially went straight into the wall head on and ended up going to hospital. He was discharged later that evening, but again, two huge crashes on the opening lap. We haven't had an opening lap like that where there has been such a big pileup for a long time. And I think the reason why that happened was because a lot of the drivers got a poor start. Both George Russell and Guan Yu Zhou ended up getting a relatively poor start. That meant that Latifi, no, Nicholas Latifi, ended up going through the both of them. Pierre Gasly had the same idea, went through, clipped Russell, who clipped Joe, and then, you know, everything else happened. Further back, whoever was in front of Alex Albon, I think, got a poor start, which meant that Albon was slow, which meant that Vettel went into the back of Albon, and that was what caused that other crash. And so it was a series of poor starts, so it wasn't necessarily any one person's fault, but it just shows the dangers of hesitation in those high-speed moments. It's like if you're on the motorway and someone just breaks suddenly in front of you for no reason. It's very, very dangerous when that happens. The race itself was one of my favourite races, I think, ever. I think I will remember this race 
for the rest of my life, for all of the action that happened and for the feeling that I had throughout it. In many ways, it felt like a movie. It felt like we were watching our favorite heroes try and beat the bad guy per se, or try and get to the top or overcome that big challenge. And, you know, they were, they were so close. And in many cases, the, the underdog was, you know, fighting his way through. And, and I'm saying this for multiple drivers. You could apply that typical Hollywood storyline to two, three, maybe four drivers yesterday. And that's why it was so special. I have to talk about Carlos Sainz because he won the race. And not only was it his 150th, I can't even say that, 150th start in a Formula One car, but he won his first ever race. And if you recall last week, I dismissed Carlos Sainz quite badly. I questioned why he didn't take the fight to Max, considering their history at Red Bull, considering that, you know, Charles is clearly outperforming him right now, despite having an unreliable car. And I'll be honest, when I saw Carlos Sainz get on pole, I did not think he could follow through with the win. Even as the safety car was coming out and they were following behind the safety car, I think the order was Leclerc, Sainz, Hamilton, and then Perez and Alonso, I'm like, no, Hamilton's going to win this. Hamilton is going to win this. Sainz cannot possibly win this. I was dismissing him all the way until maybe the last four or five laps. And so when he actually crossed the line as the winner, I was in disbelief. I mean, I'm delighted for him. I'm really, really happy for him. But I'll be honest, I did not think he could do it. And how wrong I was. I'm so happy for Carlos Sainz. I think that it's a long time coming. He probably should have won a race by now. It's been, you know, 150 races, as I said, and that's a long time to wait for your first win, especially because he's been in a Ferrari. I'll be honest, um, and I, I don't want to keep going down this road, but I think Charles Leclerc probably should have won, and he probably would have won if... Ferrari had pit him under the safety car. It was completely bizarre that they didn't. They had the chance. I think the only viable reason was that because the two Ferraris were following so closely with each other, Ferrari could only reasonably pit one driver. They couldn't double stack the cars because the gap wasn't big enough between the two drivers, and so they had to choose one. And they chose signs. So essentially, whether they meant it or not, they chose the winner of the race. But I don't think they realized that they'd done that because during the restart, they got on the radio to signs saying, hold the line, like keep a gap to let Leclerc drive off. In the end, signs didn't do that. He decided I'm going to go and overtake my teammate for the win. And you know what? Good for you, signs. It wasn't Sainz's fault that they pit him. It wasn't Leclerc's fault that they pit Sainz and not him. It was the Ferrari strategy. And I think, again, it's a little bit bizarre considering that Leclerc has the best chance and more points in terms of the driver's championship. It also cost Leclerc a podium because as soon as he was overtaken by his teammate, he ended up embroiled in a battle between Checo Perez and Lewis Hamilton for second, third, and then ended up fourth and was very lucky to keep forth. 
And this is the other thing that I want to talk about. Oh my goodness, those last few laps were, again, some of the best laps I've ever seen in Formula One. It completely blew my mind, the quality of driving. The fact that those three drivers were, (laughs) I think at one point, um, as I saw them go around, I think the penultimate corner, you could draw a line from Leclerc's car all the way to Hamilton's car at the back and there not be a gap. The three cars were all completely overlapping, like some sort of Formula One Venn diagram full of three cars. It was insane. I, I want to print a picture of that and put it on my wall because I've I rarely see three cars going around that corner and not take each other out. And again, that just shows that you can do that in Silverstone. In some ways, I hope that this is a really good lesson for some of the fans of Formula One, the ones who think that you can't closely race and not crash. There was a huge amount of criticism last year after Hamilton and Verstappen went into cops and Max went into the wall. I specifically recall Christian Horner saying you can't overtake and fight into cops. And I think that Hamilton and Leclerc, who did a very, very similar thing, proved that you can. I absolutely loved listening to the, to the crowd, to the British crowd, screaming as Hamilton went through past Perez, past Leclerc, as those two were battling each other, only for Perez to get back in front of Hamilton. I think in many ways, Hamilton is a little bit unlucky because before the safety car, he had a much better tyre advantage on the two Ferraris in front, and he had a huge gap to Perez as well. And so with the safety car bunching them all up and evening out the tyres, it became about car performance again. And we know that the Red Bull has that advantage over the Mercedes. In an alternate reality, in another dimension where Ocon had maybe pulled off sooner or his car didn't break down, where I think Hamilton would have won that race. But to be honest, given the battles that we saw, given the quality of driving and racing, given the fact that he still ended up on the podium at his home race... I don't mind as much. And again, I'm, I'm happy for signs. I, I know that Ferrari essentially chose their winner, but, but he had a good race and he, and he had a clean race as well. I recall after the second restart, he managed to hold off Max Verstappen, which was incredibly impressive, considering that on the first restart, he was overtaken within one corner. Uh, final note on the commentary for the British Grand Prix. I have listened back to that commentary over and over again because that is when I think David Croft and Martin Brundle are at their absolute best. When it's incredible racing, when it's a driver at their home track trying to overtake for a podium, whether it's clean racing, going around a corner that you wouldn't expect, that's when you hear the passion that they have for that sport. And they've been doing that a long, long time. I thought that was some of their best commentary. And I'll be honest, I missed it the first time round because I was screaming myself. I was absolutely taken by the race yesterday. So of course I watched it back and I listened to it and I'm like, wow, that was amazing. They know how to hype up the audience at the right time. And I think they completely added to the experience of watching that race yesterday. And considering I'm watching it on TV, I'm not there I didn't feel like I was missing out. I felt part of it. And they did that. They, 
those commentators, that coverage made me feel like I was there. And that's exactly what you want a commentator to do. You want them to feel involved. You want them to feel part of that race weekend. And I did. And so, yeah. Thanks, Crofty. Thank you, Martin. I don't think I have any energy left to cover anything else. Um, I'm still completely buzzing after that race. But what I will say is that we go straight into Austria. Now, Austria is typically a Red Bull track. It is a Max Verstappen track. And I thoroughly expect them to be back up there. But the outcomes of the last two, three races has not been as expected going into them. I'm kind of hoping that that unpredictable nature follows through into Austria. I hope that the Merck continues on their climb upwards. And I hope that the, again, I'm going to say this for the probably the fourth podcast in a row, that the Ferrari strategists get it right. Well, I say get it right. They got it right. They won the race. But in the grand scheme of the world championship, maybe not. So until next time. Thank you very much for tuning in.